Nuclear shutdown. Or is it? Since 2016, Northern California's Diablo Canyon nuclear reactors have been on track to be shut down in 2024 and 2025, the end of their operating licenses. But now, California Governor Gavin Newsom has snuck a $1.4 billion bailout package meant to keep Diablo running for the next 10 or 20 years into the California state budget, which must be passed by August 31st, only a week away. There's lots of pro-nuclear smoke and mirrors trying to force this ratepayer-funded bailout down the entire state's collective throats. But then you hear from an activist who has been fighting this nuclear devil since before it was built. And she tells you why PG&E wants to destroy a plan that was in the best interests of California and of their own company is beyond understanding. The joint proposal as approved by the Public Utilities Commission, supported by the state legislature, supported by Gavin Newsom when he was lieutenant governor, it was working fine. We were going to be a model of how to shut down a nuclear power plant by planning ahead and making a gradual orderly transition to a nuclear free state. That was what we were going to be. For Governor Newsom and Pacific Gas and Electric Company to want to destroy this plan makes no sense at all. It has to be about money and greed. Well, when Jane Swanson, joined by Linda Seeley, both veterans of San Luis Obispo Mothers for Peace, tells you exactly what is wrong with this bill, along with what any of you can do to help stop this attempt at nuclear brinksmanship, you can understand that they are fighting this hard to keep us out of that terrible seat that, collectively, we all share. Nuclear hot seat, what are those people thinking? Nuclear hot seat, what have those boys been drinking? Nuclear hot seat, the corium is sinking. Our time to act is shrinking, but our activists are linking. Nuclear hot seat, it's the bomb. Welcome to Nuclear Hot Seat, the weekly international news magazine keeping you up to date on all things nuclear from a different perspective. My name is Libby Halevi. I'm the producer and host, as well as a survivor of the nuclear accident at Three Mile Island from just one mile away. So I know what can happen when those nuclear so-called experts get it wrong. This week, two interviews and each one is a powerhouse. Veteran San Luis Obispo Mothers for Peace members Jane Swanson and Linda Seeley fill us in on the sudden plan by California Governor Gavin Newsom to reverse long-standing plans to shut down Diablo Canyon's two nuclear reactors. He's doing this by way of a $1.4 billion gift that will come out of the entire state's ratepayers' pockets. And there's more ugliness as well with only one week to stop this from happening. But first, Arnie Gunderson, chief engineer at Fairwinds Energy Education, itemizes the exact vulnerabilities at Ukraine's Russian-occupied Zaporizhia 6-reactor nuclear plant, with many insights that have not yet surfaced in mainstream media. Today is Tuesday, August 23, 2022, and here is this week's nuclear news from a different perspective. First, Ukraine. 
where the vulnerabilities and opportunities for disaster at the Russian-held Zaporizhia nuclear power station keep growing. To learn the many ways the situation could go terminally wrong, we talked with Arnie Gunderson. He's a licensed nuclear reactor operator with more than 50 years of nuclear power engineering experience. Now, as chief engineer for Fairwinds Associates, he testifies on behalf of states, municipalities, NGOs, and environmental organizations regarding the hazards and violations at nuclear reactors and atomic waste sites. I spoke with Arnie Gunderson on Monday, August 22, 2022. Arnie Gunderson, we have spoken with you about Zaporizhia several times. And every time you have nailed potential problems at the site well in advance of general knowledge and the general reporting that has been going on on it. So let's do a bit of a roundup and catch up with your current thinking. Six nuclear reactors in a war zone currently controlled by Russia in the middle of Ukraine. How many ways could this go wrong? Let me count the ways. You know, the interesting thing is that the nuclear industry is saying, well, the containment is robust. And that's the building that surrounds the nuclear reactor. And that's true, but that's not where the weak link is. The containment's designed to contain after a meltdown has begun. So if an errant shell or an aimed shell were to hit the containment, in and of itself, it wouldn't cause a meltdown and likely a very small release of radiation. But the problem is that when a, uh, and five of these six nukes are already shut down, the only one remains running. Let me put this thing in perspective. When a nuke shuts down, it needs power. And it normally gets that power from offsite, but if the offsite power were to be destroyed, it has two diesels on site to keep it cool. Well, each diesel is five megawatts. And when you go to Costco or when you go to Lowe's or someplace like that, you can see those big generators that they sell. It takes two people to carry it out to your car. That's a five kilowatt generator. So a, a nuclear generator to cool a plant is a thousand times bigger than the thing you'd buy at, at Costco or Lowe's. If those generators run, they will keep the plant cool. But the, the question is, they run on diesel fuel. And would they be starved for diesel fuel? They have about a week's worth of diesel fuel. So they have to be replenished. Uh, now, when the military has other uses for the diesel fuel, it might become more of a problem. So problem number one is the diesels, will they work? And right now they're running out of spare parts and the Russians are making it difficult to get spare parts. So it's questionable whether they're being maintained to the standards that they used to be maintained to. So will the diesels start up? You've got two, you only need one. So if one doesn't start up because it breaks, there's another one there. I've been in power plants where both have broken and that makes for a really exciting, um, uh, exciting time. So the problem number one is if you lose offsite power, the, and the new, these nukes are shut down already except for one, they have to be cooled. And will the diesels have enough fuel? And are the diesels well enough maintained? The second problem revolves around the same thing. If the, if the diesels are the target of an attack, that's a horse of a different color. 
they're in a robust building designed to withstand 100 mile an hour winds and things like that. But the weapons that are available to the Soviets in this case are so much beyond that, that the diesels could be blown up. Now, everybody looks at the diesels. They're within that complex, that big complex of buildings. And they're certainly a, a likely target. And even if they're not targeted, they're likely to either break or run out of fuel. But as I told you before, the other big problem is the pump house along the river. It's called the service water building or something along those lines. And it contains the water that cools the diesels and also the water that cools the nuclear reactor. So the quickest way to destroy a nuclear reactor is to wipe out the emergency service water. That's what happened at Fukushima. And when you hear all the stories about, well, the diesels were flooded, they were. But even if they weren't flooded, the pumps along the ocean were destroyed and a meltdown was inevitable. So as I said before, if, if someone with uh, nefarious intentions were to target that plant, you wouldn't hit the containment. And likely the easiest target is sitting out in the open, right on the edge of the river, the service water building. Now, the other thing that's happening at that plant is that the Russians are building power lines to take the power, not to the Ukraine, but to the portions of Crimea and the Donbass that they control. So they're basically planning to disconnect that plant from the Ukrainian grid and ship that power to the east and to the Russian grid. Now, remember, we talked about those diesels a thousand times bigger than what you buy at Costco or Lowe's. But the power plant itself cannot be restarted by the diesels. They're too small. The pumps in the plant are 10,000 times bigger than the thing you buy at Costco. And in order to turn those, you have to be connected to the grid. So if they lose a grid connection, there's no way to start the plant back up again. And you're forced to rely on the diesels. So there's no happy outcome here. If the plant remains stable and is not a target, the best you can hope for is that all the units will eventually shut down. They'll run out of fuel at some point. And hopefully the spare parts are adequate to keep them cool. Now, one last thing. When, when the Fairwinds was uh, in 2011, we stumbled across a video from Sandia Labs. And Sandia had just conducted a test on a nuclear fuel pool, not the nuclear reactor, but the spent fuel pool. And they discovered that even 90 days after the nuclear reactor had shut down, the nuclear fuel would still be hot enough to combust in air. And a fuel pool fire is worse than hell. And six fuel pool fires would be six times worse than that. So one of the fears is that even if the plant doesn't have a loss of coolant, if the fuel pool loses cooling, it will boil dry in uh, three, four days, at which point it will be dry. And the Sandia data suggests that the fuel pool will burn in air. That's what happened at Fukushima Unit 4, and if you recall, the NRC and the United States government told all American citizens to get the hell out of Dodge out to 50 miles. 
That was probably not enough, but you're looking at a circle 50 miles that would be uninhabitable. Brookhaven National Labs did a study on a fuel pool fire. Bob Alvarez has referenced that study repeatedly. And you're talking about tens of billions of dollars of destruction because it's contaminated and hundreds of thousands of people maimed or killed. So there's no nice outcome here. I wish I could paint one for you, but ain't going to happen. Say we use Chernobyl as a unit of measurement in terms of the destruction and the radiation that was released. How many units of Chernobyl are we looking at potentially from Zaporizhia? A fuel pool fire would be 10 or 20 Chernobyls. And of course, there's six fuel pools. So, you know, you're looking at potentially 100 times worse than Chernobyl if the fuel pool were to catch on fire. And like I said, you know, Sandia already did the test. Oh, by the way, after Fairwinds copied the test, it was a five-hour long test. After we copied it and put it on our site, Sandia took it down. So it's no longer available on the internet unless you visit the Fairwinds site. But there are pictures of nuclear fuel burning in air that simulate 90-day-old fuel in a spent fuel pool. If Russia decides to end the war, abandon Zaporizhia, whatever the circumstances, but they just up and leave, is there a way out that could be safely managed, or is this a nightmare no matter what happens? Well, the Zaporizhia plant had already acknowledged its diesels were poor. Uh, they were Russian-designed, and they were old, and they had diesels on order that were supposed to be installed this year. So somewhere in, in Western Europe, there's a whole bunch of diesels that are available to replace the aging diesels. I had a tour of a Soviet reactor similar to these, uh, uh, these Russian reactors in Ukraine when I was in the Czech Republic. I was followed by four guys with AK-47s on my, quote, tour. And Russian construction techniques are sloppy in comparison to American techniques. You could just see that it wasn't built as accurately. There wasn't the professionalism in the trades that we have in the States. Now, that doesn't mean that Zaporizhia can't continue to run, but the replacement parts will likely be coming from the West and not from Soviet manufacturers. And over time, it will get better and safer if we get Western replacement parts in there. But what it would require is actually getting those replacement generators in place and operating before anybody could step away from the plant. Yes, that's right. The weak link at Zaporizhia is the old Russian diesels. And uh, like I said, the, they've been recognized by the nuclear community for well, probably half a decade. And uh, there's replacements on the way somewhere in Western Europe. They have to be installed and installed in a manner that doesn't make things worse. You have to take one out at a time and hope the other one continues to run. And it would sure be nice if they were connected to the grid. That way you'd have another source of power. And right now, none of that is, is possible. I would agree with the IAEA. It's bleak. And short of a Russian withdrawal, allowing the technicians and, and the IAEA back in, it's unlikely that that plant will get healthy again. 
two other points I'd like to ask you. The IAEA has as part of its charter the support and the promotion of nuclear reactors. We already know that when they were in Chernobyl, initially they said, ah, the radiation's not too bad, don't worry your pretty little head about it. Greenpeace came in afterwards and found that the levels on a cursory examination were three times higher than what the IAEA said. And it seems that they have been trying repeatedly to downplay the dangers, even though in recent weeks, there's been a lot more alarm coming from the group. If and when they should be allowed into Zaporizhia, how much should we rely on the reliability of what it is they're going to be saying? I ran into the IAEA when I was at Fukushima, and they've actually shared a building with an exhibit designed to downplay the significance of Fukushima. So I don't trust them. And they have about 200 employees that are Russian. So there's a, you know, a question of their institutional objectivity and then get beyond that. And a significant fraction of their staff is Russian. So they are what they are. And they may be the only group you can trust. I would certainly trust the Ukrainians first. You know, there's lots of political things going on too, and I don't pretend to understand them, but Ukrainians don't want the Russians to allow the IAEA in. The Ukrainians are more than willing to invite the IAEA in on, on their own. But if the Russians do it, then in theory, the title of the plant has transferred over to the Russians. Explain what that means, because that sounds extremely alarming. You know, if I have friends to my house, they can come into my house. But if we all decide to walk over next door and knock down the door and enter, that's not my property. And the Zaporizhia plants belong to the Ukraine. So by the Russians inviting the IAEA in, there's the issue of you're giving something you have no legal authority to give. This is a Ukrainian property. So there's that issue behind the scenes that the diplomats are fighting, whereas you know, engineers like me are just worried about melting it down and destroying Europe. That explains why Putin has been pushing for the IAEA to get into Zaporizhia through Russia as opposed to through Ukraine. There hasn't been an explanation of that visible before, certainly not to my research. You got it. One final question. Using a nuclear reactor, a set of nuclear reactors on the ground in a war situation seems to change the ground rules for what a nuclear war can look like. Certainly with the chance for 60 times more Chernobyls happening on one location, that's a significant risk. My question to you is, does every nuclear reactor run the same risk if it's taken over by a terrorist group or becomes engaged in a war zone? Yeah, the answer is yes. They are, they're targets. There's no way around the fact that they're targets. When a nuclear power plant explodes, the radioactive releases occur at ground level. Whereas when a, a nuclear weapon explodes, it's usually a couple thousand feet in the air to maximize the pressure wave that destroys everything. So actually, a terrorist taking over a nuke or destroying the service water system or something like that actually releases more radiation than does a nuclear bomb. And organizations like Plowshares 
are focused on eliminating nuclear bombs to their credit, but the elephant in the room are 400 nuclear plants that could spread at ground level where the people really are, spread more radiation than a, than a single bomb blast. You know, this has been an interesting year. We've got nukes closing in France and in China because of climate change. And now we've got nukes threatened by an act of war. I think we're finding out that nuclear is not the panacea that a lot of people would portray it to be. Anything else you'd like to add? No, let's all just pray that the Russians leave and uh, the plant comes back to the control of the Ukrainians. That was Arnie Gunderson, Chief Engineer at Fairwinds Energy Education. The website is fairwinds.org, and that's F-A-I-R-E winds.org. And that's where you can go to subscribe to the Fairwinds newsletter. Well worth the effort. For another different perspective on Ukraine, here's... Nuclear Hot Seat hot seed, nuclear hot seed, numbnuts of the week. Usually, numbnuts of the week is awarded for some truly boneheaded action by the nuclear industry. But this week, we reverse its purpose and use it to genuinely recognize people who deserve our acknowledgement and thanks for the numbnutsery that they launched. Chernobyl Tours, which does just what the name implies, has a booth just inside the entrance to the facility that has a small video camera for security. On February 24, when Russia first took over Chernobyl, they knocked out all security cameras but somehow missed this battery-operated camera. So tour operators watched the invasion on live stream and conveyed information about troops and equipment to Ukrainian military intelligence. Then... Tour company owner Yaroslav Yemelyenko launched a special information operation to scare Russians into leaving Chernobyl. It told the media that soldiers sleeping in trenches or pillaging items from villages in the area were being exposed to dangerous levels of radiation. And there were stories of illnesses, soldier evacuations, and in one instance, a death. The media picked it up. Nuclear Hot Seat trumpeted the information on multiple shows, and shortly after this information hit, Russia pulled out of Chernobyl completely. Whether for radiological reasons or their inability to get to Kiev from there, nobody knows. So for this huge exaggeration that punked the world, as well as an occupying army, Yaroslav Yamalenko and the crew of Chernobyl Tours, you are the recipients of the first ever esteem-based Nuclear hot seed, none that's out of week. We'll have this week's other featured interview in just a moment. But first, yoo-hoo, mainstream media. Are you listening? There are so many aspects to nuclear stories that you seem to be reporting on, but you haven't encountered these talking points or don't understand them or have just chosen not to put them in because, eh, why bother confusing the talking points? But what you think are the real stories are rehashed press releases and pre-written pro-nuclear stories from their never-ending multi-million dollar funded PR campaigns. Whereas more compelling truths are presented by Mothers on a Bake Sale Budget and One Podcast. We know that as reporters you're overburdened, underpaid, and don't necessarily have time But you need to pay attention to the other voices on nuclear issues, the different perspective. And that's why Nuclear Hot Seat is here, to make it easy for you. 
Nuclear Hot Seat takes a deep dive every week behind the scenes and beneath the easy talking points that you're offered into the human, medical, scientific, and environmental truths that the nuclear industry would rather you not know. That's why you need Nuclear Hot Seat. Every week, this show takes a deep dive behind the scenes and beneath the talking points into the human, medical, scientific, and environmental truths about nukes that the nuclear industry would rather you not know. That's why, if you've come to value Nuclear Hot Seat's work, the time to support us with a donation would be right now. The cup of coffee donation, $5, maybe $5 a month recurring. Or feel free to send us an amount of your choosing. Go to NuclearHotSeat.com, click on the red Donate button, do what you can now, and know that however much you can help, I am deeply grateful that you're listening and that you care. Now here's this week's second featured interview. Northern California's Diablo Canyon nuclear reactors have been on track to be decommissioned at the end of their operating licenses in 2024 and 2025. But now, in a stunning display of political brinksmanship, California Governor Gavin Newsom is trying to force the legislature to pass a $1.4 billion bailout bill to keep those nukes running. Here with the details on what he's trying to do, and what those who oppose it need to do to stop it, we hear from Jane Swanson and Linda Seeley, both of San Luis Obispo Mothers for Peace. They each have more than 50 years of battling Diablo Canyon and give us a compelling call to action to keep the shutdown in place. We spoke on Friday, August 19, 2022. Linda Seeley and Jane Swanson, welcome back to Nuclear Hot Seat. Good morning. Let's start out with a bit of background. What is the status at Diablo Canyon right now? What are the known problems and dangers that make its closure so important? One of them is deferred maintenance because PG&E has been planning for the past six years on closing the plant in 2025. So for a reason, they didn't bother to spend the money to upgrade their aging plant so that it could last another 20, 25 years because it only needed to go a few more years. So deferred maintenance is high on that list. Given that the plant was designed in the 1960s, built mostly in the 1970s, it's very old, very outdated to start with. And some of the components that need replacing or upgrading, they're they're not made anymore. So it's a little bit jerry-rigged as it is. The reactor vessel on unit one was manufactured in 1967 with uh, metallic components that are not used anymore. And the reason that those components aren't used anymore is because the components that are in the mix of metals that's on that reactor vessel, after the reactor vessel has been hot for a long time, in case of emergency, if it would have to be shut down quickly, through what they call a cold shutdown, meaning pouring cold water on it, there's a chance that the reactor vessel could shatter. And that would be one of the most catastrophic events that's possible at a nuclear plant. Another huge problem with Diablo Canyon has been there since the very beginning of construction. It's in the wrong place. There are four major active earthquake faults right next to the plant one of them coming within 600 meters 
of the plant and they're connected. So the earthquake risk is the big problem with Diablo and has been from the very beginning. The decision was made by Pacific Gas and Electric in 2016 to allow the reactors to be shut down at the end of what was their initial 40-year operating license, meaning that they would stop in 2024 and 2025. And at the time that decision was made, all of the relevant parties, the utility, labor unions, the state, all agreed in 2016 to shut it down. Why suddenly this push to leave it open for an additional 10 years? I'd like to make one small tweak to the background you just gave. It's okay. not that pg e agreed to shut it down. pg e asked to shut it down. They asked the Public Utility Commission for permission to do this orderly stage of shutdown, gradually replacing the energy on the California grid that would have come from Diablo. So nobody twisted their arms. They specifically asked for it. Linda? You just said to keep it open for 10 more years. But if, in fact, this goes through, they will not be keeping it open for 10 more years. They will apply for a 20-year license extension. It only makes business sense for them to apply for a 20-year extension because the amortization of the cost of the, all of the upgrades and the maintenance and the new equipment, et cetera, and the licensing application itself, that, those costs have to be amortized over a long period of time. And if anybody thinks that PG&E is going to try to run it for only three years or only five years, they're buying a big crock. And PG&E said it in their own words that they are going to apply for a 20-year license extension. So this was all set up. It was proceeding in an orderly way. What happened? Why this change? Why is it suddenly different? Governor Newsom started that ball rolling by suddenly announcing in an interview with the Los Angeles Times, I think it was in February, that he was considering urging PG&E to keep the plant opening. So make no mistake, the governor cannot apply for license renewal for a nuclear plant. The licensee that's going to run the plant has to do that. One can only guess that he was in conversation with PG&E long before he said that. I can't believe he would make a statement like that to a major newspaper without being pretty darn sure that PG&E wanted to take him up on that. What Governor Newsom says is that he's concerned about blackouts and he wants to prevent blackouts. But that makes no sense because Diablo Canyon, you could build 100 more Diablo Canyons. They would not change the picture with blackouts. The blackouts that California has experienced in the last 10 years or so, they were caused by transmission line failures, by a squirrel that got burned up on a line, by a wildfire, maybe caused by PG&E, or by the threat of wildfire in high winds when PG&E will deliberately turn off the grid to a certain geographical area to prevent that. So it's not been a lack of energy on the Western grid that started any of these blackouts. It's a lack of flexibility on the grid. And guess what stops flexibility? Diablo Canyon, a nuclear plant has to run 24 hours, seven days a week, full power. You can't ramp it up and down depending on demand. That's dangerous to do with a nuclear plant. So if Diablo would kindly get out of the way, we could install more renewables. We could have that grid flexibility 
We could do a whole lot more with things like energy efficiency. We could retool the grids so that those folks with their electric vehicles could put energy back into the grid at times of crisis, not just take it out. There's a whole lot that could be done and conservation is among them. The public cooperated very well. I think it was in 2000, there was concern about blackouts during a hot summer. And we, the people of California, conserved something like 12%, which was plenty to take care of the problem. So there's a lot that can be done for grid flexibility, but keeping Diablo running is blocking that. From my only slight difference, because I do live in Southern California, from my perspective, there has been a planned, organized, extremely well-funded pushback against this closure, starting almost from the beginning. I remember the first sign of this was a group, you are both from San Luis Obispo, Mothers for Peace. This was a group, Mothers for Nuclear, made up of two hand-picked employees of PG&E Diablo Canyon, who were then coached and trained and whatever to be quote unquote spokespeople as though they were coming from a grassroots movement. That was the start. And since then, it's ramped all the way up to Elon Musk's ex-girlfriend, who's a TikTok influencer with more than a million people following her and constant pushing to get Diablo Canyon to be allowed to stay online. What's behind this other than greed or laziness? Diablo Canyon has always been a symbol in this country. It was the site of the longest protest in the history of the United States. Over 10,000 people were arrested there protesting nuclear power. And there's something about it being in California that is very important to the pro-nuclear people about this particular site. It's kind of bigger than it might seem. I was present at the meeting where the Mothers for Nuclear were created, by the way. What happened was that Michael Schellenberger of the Breakthrough Institute came to San Luis Obispo when the rumor was going around that they were going to shut the plant down. And so he came to San Luis Obispo and organized a meeting and about two or 300 employees from Diablo Canyon went to the meeting. And I went there with another board member from Mothers for Peace to see what was going on. And right there in front of us, up on the stage, Michael Schellenberger said, we're going to create a movement here and we need some volunteers to create an organization to counter these anti-nuclear people. And lo and behold, the two women who represent, um, oh, and he also said, We'll train you and we'll pay you. And lo and behold, these two women came forth and that's how Mothers for Nuclear got started. It was not an illustrious beginning. It would be wonderful if somebody would hire us and pay us to do this work. We do it out of a sense of urgency and need. And I'm not surprised that the person I refer to as the Schillberger was connected with this because he's always shilling for nuclear. But this has done particular damage. What other forces have been brought to bear against the position to close down the nuclear power plants at Diablo Canyon? The entire nuclear industry and those with monetary investments in the future of nuclear stuff 
they're behind it too. They try to keep their names off of it, but I think they're channeling some money. And that would include Bill Gates, who has a big investment in Wyoming for wanting to build these small modular reactors, which are not safer. In some ways, they're more dangerous. They still create radioactive waste. So yeah, I think you mentioned greed. I think that's definitely a big part of the picture. Which is, of course, a lie because nuclear is only carbon-free, quote unquote, if you take a big sheet of metal, place it in front of you, drill a small pinhole through, squint through that pinhole, and look at only the moment when the atom is split. At that moment, there's no carbon. But to the left and to the right, from taking uranium out of the ground to the transport, to the refining, to the building and maintenance of the reactor, all the way to what do we do with the waste, which nobody's got a good answer for it because it's going to be deadly for a half-life of 24,000 years. All of that is carbon intensive, but by repetition and by the propaganda machine that is run by the nuclear industry, people have been convinced that nuclear is carbon free and therefore it's green and therefore it's a solution when clearly it is not. I think a lot of this is coming out of fear especially when you hear younger people extolling the virtues of nuclear power, because they're so terrified of the effects of climate change. I understand it. I am too. And they've been given this shtick that nuclear power is carbon free. And so they've latched onto it as if it really is a solution without examining what you just talked about, the beginning and the end of this process of nuclear power. So I don't want to say that it's coming from a place of malice, although I do think it is in the broader superstructure, but I think that people who are glamming onto it are doing it because they're scared and they just want to stop climate change. And they think somehow that this is a magic bullet. They've been sold quite the bill of goods as if like, radioactive waste that is toxic for a million years, that's a good trade-off for less carbon. So, I mean, even if nuclear were carbon-free, it would not be a good deal. It would not help the planet. One of the confusing aspects of all of this is California's current governor, Gavin Newsom, who, when he was lieutenant governor, was a very strong advocate of closing Diablo Canyon. Other than his election to the governorship, and his aspirations to run for president. What has changed to so flip Gavin Newsom around on this issue? We can't read his mind. And I don't think Mother's Peace should make pronouncements on what's going on in Gavin Newsom's head. However, I can say that he is aware of the history of Gray Davis, a governor who lost office because there were blackouts in the state. So I don't know. I'm not saying because I don't know. But one has to wonder if there's some kind of a political panic attack going on here. And he's just worried about his image and not really thinking ahead about what it means. That's hard to believe because I do think he's an intelligent man. I don't think he's like easily brainwashed. So that's a mystery. I hope one of these days we'll know about that after we have triumphed and Diablo is shut down for good. One thing that your listeners might look up is how much money Gavin Newsom has gotten in political contributions from PG&E. And I don't know about the other utilities, but I know that PG&E 
over the years since he was mayor of San Francisco has contributed $3.1 million to him. And I would suspect that other utilities have done the same, but I don't know that for a fact. There is a bill that has been proposed in the California legislature that has the full backing of Gavin Newsom and the pro-nuclear interests that would make the shift that would allow Diablo Canyon to continue in operation. What is this bill and where does it stand now? This bill is a trailer, which means it's not following the normal legislative process where bills have to be introduced way early in the year, and then they go through a process of hearings and all that. This is a deliberate last minute thing called the trailer to tweak something else. The wording that disturbs Mothers for Peace is that it's excusing PG&E from complying with environmental regulations, which is quite horrible. And this bill has not been passed. The legislature is going to leave town on the 31st of August. So it's going to happen in a very, very few days, the vote on it. it. The wording isn't even final, but if this bill gets approved and voted positively, there will be lawsuits because you can't just say PG&E be excused from complying with California law, the California Environmental Quality Act, which has many components. Another excuse being offered to PG&E is telling it it doesn't have to comply with the water board's ruling on once through cooling. Diablo Canyon now heats billions of gallons of water every day, dumps it back out into the cove, 19 degrees warmer than when it came in from the ocean. And along the way, it's killing all kinds of ocean life. This has been ruled as improper, and that was supposed to end in 2024. And then the water board at the behest of the governor, gave them a one-year extension so they could kill fish for one more year till the end of units two life. But this bill proposes to waive that regulation also. So not only would it be permitted to continue to operate, but it wouldn't have the same level of oversight and need for compliance with the law that is currently in effect. Exactly. This cannot be allowed to happen. Another thing about this bill is that it's wrapped inside a budget bill. They have to pass the budget bill because it's the budget. And so it will take along with it this, in my opinion, unconstitutional process that they have allowed to happen here. And what Mothers for Peace and other groups are asking for when we talked to state legislators and so on, is for them to say, no, we are going to pull this bill out and separate it. And if we need to have a special session of the legislature, let's have it or else let's wait till the next full session of the legislature and put it through the proper paces because it is too important of a piece of legislation to be stuck inside some other legislation. It's absolutely reprehensible. It's clearly a step that is intended to force the passage of this extension. And it comes with a pretty hefty price tag, $1.4 billion in what's PG&E in what is labeled a forgivable loan. I call that a gift. 
and not a particularly nice one for most of us because this takes the form of a taxpayer-funded handoff to PG&E and the nuclear industry with all supervision suspended, and they can just go ahead and do what they wish. Would that be accurate? That's accurate. And the sin is compounded because the first way of taking advantage of the taxpayer nationwide is for PG&E to apply for this nuclear credit program from the Department of Energy, which is giving away billions of dollars to nuclear plants that are in danger of closing down. Now, Diablo is not really qualified to apply for this because the program set up by the Department of Energy is for the purpose of supporting nuclear plants that are in competition with other forces in the market. PG&E has no competition. It's a regulated monopoly. They are guaranteed a profit by the Public Utilities Commission. So it's not qualified, but looks like they're going to do it anyway and ask to, again, be given exceptions. On top of that, the California legislation proposed wants to give them a gift of both ratepayer and taxpayer monies of $1.4 billion. So, you know, all of this money should really be better spent on upgrading the grid, letting Diablo shut down, and doing the improvements that I mentioned earlier about conservation and energy efficiency, electric vehicles. There's so many ways to make the grid more stable and flexible. So that's the way the money should be spent. We shouldn't be robbing the taxpayer and the ratepayer to support a corporation that is not trustworthy. Look at the record of PG&E. Can you believe a word they say? I mean, you can't. They had a a firm shutdown date that they asked for in the Public Utilities Commission, and they broke that promise. And whatever they say about the future, they'll break that promise. They'll probably go ahead and apply for an 80-year renewal. I mean, you can't trust PG&O. They burn down homes. They lie about their record keeping. So I am just furious at PG&E for having the nerve to try to take advantage of our money to support them as they do their deeds that are really criminal. And it's official in crunching the numbers and looking at the quote-unquote safety record of PG&E that it is one of the, if not the, most unsafe utility in the country. They're convicted criminals because of it. They've been bankrupt three times in the last dozen years, and they're convicted criminals for their negligence in causing deaths by fire. In addition, it's not generally understood, looking at the money again, that under Gavin Newsom's plan, all California utility customers, that would include me down here in the Los Angeles area, all California utility customers would become responsible for the plant's $460 million in annual operating costs and $300 million in replacement power costs during outages. So this is a total sweetheart deal to the industry, if it gets to pass. So what is being done? What is Mothers for Peace doing? And what are other groups doing to try and turn this around in the sliver of time that we've got left? For one thing, we're meeting with state legislators to talk to them reasonably about what it is that's going on here, because they've been swept along in this current too. And so we're trying to help them stop and take a look at what the real situation is here. We're putting out lots of newsletters asking people to call their state representatives and tell them to hold off. They know to this deal because it is not a good deal for 
us, it's not a good deal for the future generations, and it's not a good deal for the state legislators themselves because they're the ones who are going to be voting on this and they're going to be holding the bag if, God forbid, something happens at Diablo Canyon because of their deferred maintenance and their embrittled reactor vessel and 101 other things that could happen there. It's the most dangerous technology that's ever been invented on the face of the earth, and they want to sweep it through for 20 more years without doing one thing to look at actually what's going on there. And that is a scandal and ought to be illegal. It is illegal. It is illegal what they're doing. Mother's for Peace is also in deep conversation with the parties who signed this joint proposal back in 2016. Mother's for Peace didn't know anything about it until it was announced. We were not signatories. But we are in conversation with Friends of the Earth, Natural Resources Defense Council, and the Alliance for Nuclear Responsibility. We don't talk that much with the union because there was a union signee there for pipe fitters and such, and they obviously wanted it to keep running. But we're in touch with the other parties, and we're not speaking for them. We don't know what they're going to do, but we are definitely hoping that they will file their legal cases, and Mothers for Peace will. In terms of media response, I have been astounded by this, you should pardon the expression, tsunami of cheers for Diablo Canyon continuing in operation. Have you found any members of the media who are willing and able to talk with you, take your point seriously and put them forward? We have had some conference calls, Zoom media calls with some of the major media. Some of them have taken in our information and used it. Some have not. The Los Angeles Times has printed some really excellent things. Sacramento Bee had a good one. So we're gradually educating editorial boards and reporters, and it's starting to pay off. But we're coming from behind because we don't have the budget for this kind of work that the nuclear industry has. PG&E has endless ratepayer money to do public relations, and they've been doing it all along. So we're coming from behind, but we're doing everything we can. And we have had some very good conversations with California's legislators. John Laird represents the San Luis Obispo Central Coast area. And his office, he personally has been very engaged with this. And he has made some public statements that look pretty good to us. So we're counting on him to connect with other senators and hopefully persuade some of the other senators to vote no on this terrible trailer bill. What can listeners to Nuclear Hot Seat do? Not everyone who listens to this program is in California. I suspect the majority of them are not. Is there anything that they can do in terms of our legislature? Is that entirely up to those of us who live in the state? Or are there other steps that we can take to support this push to keep Diablo Canyon on schedule to be shut down? Number one, people need to be educated. And if your listeners are being educated this minute and probably have been all along, so they've got a good start there. They can catch up on recent developments by going to our website, mothersforpeace.org, and go under current news. They'll get all kinds of great information. They'll get links to some of the editorials, opinions published in the Los Angeles Times and other papers that spell out what the problems are that are you know, on our side. We have a Facebook page. If they go to the mothersforpeace.org, they can sign up to receive our email alerts. 
that will tell them when to write a letter to whom or when to attend a public meeting because the Nuclear Regulatory Commission is going to be involved in this also. That's a federal agency. Everybody within California, of course, we strongly encourage them to phone or write Governor Newsom's office and say, stop this insane process. We don't want our ratepayer money, our taxpayer money spent like this. We want a flexible grid. Shut down Diablo at the date when PG&E made that commitment. Do not enable them to break their legal contractual commitment with the other parties to shut down that plant. Even though a lot of your listeners are not Californians, this is an issue that if there were an accident at Diablo Canyon, it would affect this whole country. And so they should feel very comfortable about contacting state legislators here too about what a wrongheaded idea this is. Is there any plan for an in-person demonstration of any sort? Not yet. We're not saying no. We just haven't had time to plan it. And this statewide meeting hasn't happened. But there's a lot of energy behind that. And maybe it's time to do that again. Well, my car runs and it's got gas in the tank and the prices are down so I can afford the gas. So if you're doing something up there, let me know. And if I can possibly get up there to cover it in person, I will. Is there anything we haven't covered yet that you would like to include? One item of great concern is about the nuclear waste because they put the radioactive waste into this thing called dry cask storage after it's been in the spent fuel pools for at least five years. They bring it out and put, there are two huge pads that are cement that have enough space on them to accommodate all of the nuclear waste that's going to be produced up until 2025, but no more. Therefore, if they want to keep the plant running, I asked this question yesterday at a meeting, how are they going to deal with that extra waste that can't be accommodated on the pad? And they said that they will just keep it in the spent fuel pools. The spent fuel pools are much more dangerous than the dry cask storage. And their plan is to count on the US government to have a place for them to move the spent fuel off-site to accommodate the rest of the spent fuel as it's being produced. It's a completely unrealistic expectation. There is nowhere for it to go. From all that we know now, there won't be anywhere for it to go for a long, long time. So that means that they will have to actually blow up a mountainside to make a new flat place on bedrock to put the spent fuel casks. So that that is one of the central and most horrifying conundrums that has been presented to us in this whole plan to keep Diablo Canyon open. It's ridiculous and impossible. Why PG&E wants to destroy a plan that was in the best interest of California and of their own company is beyond understanding. The joint proposal as approved by the Public Utilities Commission, supported by the state legislature, supported by Gavin Newsom when he was Lieutenant Governor, it was working fine. We were gonna be a model of how to shut down a nuclear power plant by planning ahead and making a gradual orderly transition to a nuclear free state. That was what we were going to be. 
And for Governor Newsom and Pacific Gas and Electric Company to want to destroy this plan makes no sense at all. Economically, it makes no sense. On the safety front, it makes no sense. It will not fix the flexibility needs of the energy grid. It has to be about money and greed. There can't be any other explanation. So we just urge all those in positions of authority to come to their senses and not destroy a perfectly good plan that has been working well for six years and was getting close to coming to fruition. We need to be a nuclear-free state. I know the two of you will be doing everything in your power between now and the end of the month when this budget bill comes up for the vote to get that particular portion of the bill eliminated so that we've not been blackmailed, financially blackmailed, into approving a really bad deal. For now, Jane Swanson and Linda Seeley, I want to thank you for all the work you've been doing for all these years with Mothers for Peace. And thank you for coming back as my guest this week on Nuclear Hot Seat. Thank you. Thanks. Jane Swanson and Linda Seeley of San Luis Obispo Mothers for Peace. We will have a link up to a site where you can find the name, email, address, and phone number of your California Assembly member as well as direct access information for Governor Gavin Newsom. His phone, by the way, is 916-445-2841. We'll have all these links and more up on the website, nuclearhotseat.com, under this episode, number 583. To get each week's Nuclear Hot Seat delivered to your email inbox as soon as it posts, sign up for email notification. We don't bug you, it's just one email a week. Go to NuclearHotSeat.com, look for the yellow box, put in your first name, your email address, done and dusted. Or if you prefer, sign up on any of your favorite podcast channels. We are everywhere. This episode of Nuclear Hot Seat is copyright 2022, Libby Halevi and Hardestry Communications. All rights reserved, but fair use allowed, as long as proper attribution is provided. This is Libby Halevi producer and host of Nuclear Hot Seat, reminding you the last thing anyone who opposes nuclear wants to be able to say is, I told you so. That's it. You just had your weekly nuclear wake-up call, so do not go back to sleep because we are all in the Nuclear Hot Seat. Nuclear Hot Seat, what are those people thinking? Nuclear Hot Seat, what have those boys been drinking? Nuclear Hot Seat, the corium is sinking. Our time to act is shrinking, but our activists are linking. Nuclear Hot Seat, it's the bomb.